Welcome everybody to the Soft, Hard, and Wet. I'm Tom Delicati here with John White. I am completely burnt out from Formula One this weekend. And it might be the fact that it was three weekends in a row. But I need a break. John, who's in an uh, advanced technical state right now, not in his normal studio setup, not normal microphone. So bear with us on the technical quality of the audio. John, how do you feel after this weekend? You know, given the state that I um, that I watched the race in on delay, I don't know. I feel like we were just kind of maybe lured in with the first uh, turn and some restart. And then it was a little bit of a struggle in the middle. And then the last few laps made up for it. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. Three weeks in, I, I kind of feel like Max Verstappen in the sense of like, uh, we've got some sprint races we need to watch. We've got quali, we've got open practice, and then we've got a race on Sunday. It's a lot of Formula One. I'm not going to complain about it, but it was a little bit more of a task this weekend to uh, to get through it all than maybe historically it has been. Yeah, it just felt like I had to pay way more attention. Like typically if I put practice on TV, I can just, it can be on in the background. I don't need to be paying close attention. You know, there's nothing at stake. But there were, you know, another sprint weekend with four sessions that seemingly mattered. You have the race qualifying on Friday. You had the sprint shootout on Saturday morning, which is not called qualifying. And then you had the sprint race that you had to pay attention to. And that kind of set the table for the race on Sunday, which I was really hoping to be more excited about. And I just, I wasn't. There's a piece of it that had something to do with the fact that there were just too few cars on track. Everyone kind of was spaced out and in their, in their pace order. But let me throw this at you. 20 cars qualified for that race. 19 of them started. 17 completed one lap. 14 finished the race and only nine of them were on the lead lap at the end. And I think it bores me when it's that, when they're not congested, when they're all spaced out, it just, it wound up being kind of boring. And I know that the battle with Checo and Alonso was great. Uh, and we can get to that a little bit later, but I want to start with talking about the weekends for Mercedes and Ferrari. Both teams struggled mightily this weekend Let's start with Ferrari. They, it's like they can't catch a break, but they don't give themselves an opportunity to catch a break. And you've got these hydraulic issues that they've been dealing with. And, you know, here's poor Charles out on the, basically the warm up lap and doesn't make it through. Uh, last week you had Carlos with some issues. You would figure that an automobile manufacturer with the history of Ferrari the least of their concerns would be putting a decent automobile out on the track that can perform for more than one lap. Because they've proven to us in qualifying that on a one-lap streak, they can get really fast. What they've also proven to us is that car won't last an entire race. And if it does, it's really, really difficult. And that's sad for Ferrari. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Sainz. He had to drive that whole race in that car. I mean, at least Charles was out on the formation lap, and he didn't have to be put through the anguish of driving 71 laps on that piece of junk. 
It's kind of funny that we're carring, like we're calling Ferrari a piece of junk. They were this weekend, though. Well, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm not saying that it's funny wrong. I'm saying that it's it's just like I said before. You would think Ferrari should should have enough tenure and the right talent in place to say we can put a car on the track day in and day out that is going to prove itself. It's going to be really well. And all we need to do is fight the other teams out there for the best possible drivers. And it, and they have two fantastic drivers. Carlos and Charles are both great behind the wheel. Um, and, but it seems to be a recurring theme between Ferrari and even Toto. Both of them are like, hey, we, we just, it was embarrassing what we put out on the track this weekend. And that's, you know, that's, it's just sad. And, and maybe there's a lack of knowledge that I have here from week in to week out with the changes that they make. Obviously, some of the changes that Aston Martin made. Man, it just, it's the, the way that the car can perform from one week to the next and there'd be such a dramatic difference is, is it's always mind boggling to me because you would think that there would be a little bit more consistency out there. Well, the thing that I recognize with Ferrari especially is that consistency, the only thing they're consistent at is blunders. So, I mean, let's dive into that a little bit. Like, what is it that needs to change at Ferrari? Is it the calendar? Leadership? I don't think it's the drivers. No, I I think the calendar just needs to turn to 2024 and then getting a fresh start. Two more races and then let's restart. Yeah, I think just get through these last two races. They're not going to lose position in the Constructors' Championship. They're probably not going to gain any. Uh, not that Mercedes is light years ahead of them, but there's just not enough points on the table and enough performance in the car to suggest that they can make a run at Mercedes for the last two races. So they're going to finish third. I mean, you got 20 points. I understand, but I'm I'm being realistic here. It's Ferrari. Yeah. I think they just get through these last two races. The calendar turns to 2024. Everybody gets a fresh start. Everybody's feeling more optimistic. But Leclerc, Sainz, Fred Vasseur, everybody on the pit wall, everybody in the factory, they're just walking around slump shoulder like Charlie Brown just got his feelings hurt. They're just they're done. They're done with the year and they just need to move on. Now, moving on to Mercedes, they had a pretty big issue this weekend, and I can't figure out if it was just car setup. Uh, You know, they just missed it in practice, but that thing was losing so much time in sector three where it's just, it's flat out. It's, it's put the pedal to the floor and they were dropping four to five tenths to the McLaren, to the Alpine. Alpines were passing them with ease down that backstretch uh, sector three. They were just so slow, so draggy. So this this question came in from, from a friend. Mercedes thought they found something in Austin, which I don't think we can deny that. Lewis was incredible in Austin in a questionably legal car. But I do believe... Well, they, they found a disqualification is what they found. <laughs> they found something in Austin and carried the performance to Mexico. <laughs> Do they truly understand their car given the result in Brazil or is it tire management or car setup? Is it just, was it just bad in a straight line? 
I don't think that it was tire management because to me, history shows that Lewis is a bit better at tire management than George is, yet they found themselves battling between the two of them quite a lot during that race. And so had they been further apart um, in the race, I think that maybe tire management would have been there. There, there. To me, there has to be something with the floor that they've changed that worked really well in Coda and worked really well in Mexico and for some reason did not translate. It seems to me that they made whatever change they made, it was too conservative. Did you hear what Brundle was saying on the broadcast? He said it multiple times that the Mercedes felt like or looked like it had a parachute attached to it as it was going down the straights. There was just something just dragging it backwards. And so it might be ride height. It might be wing angle, car setup, whatever it might be. But you're absolutely right. They they got it wrong this weekend. George admitted it. Lewis admitted it. Toto admitted it publicly. They just they all said it was a nightmare this weekend. They want to forget it and move on. So Ferrari and Mercedes, both bad weekends. But you know who didn't have a bad weekend was Aston Max Martin. Max Verstappen. Oh, <laughs> man. I thought we were going to say the same thing at the same time, and we didn't. Well, okay. All right. Let's talk. Let's give Max his due. We really <laughs> we really don't no. talk about Max on this podcast. You're, you're absolutely right. We don't talk enough about Max on this podcast. So, John, the floor is yours. I Honestly, the first few laps of the race after the restart and the red flag, Lando was was trailing him. And I thought to myself, you know, McLaren have been, they've been quick, but they haven't been consistent. And maybe this race they've figured out a way and we were going to see a legitimate battle between Max and Lando. And it was, and honestly, it's one that I would love to see as the race continued. I mean, before you knew it, it was four seconds, six seconds. And then I think he still finished, you know, what, eight seconds above because Lando just couldn't, couldn't keep the pace. We don't need to say anything more other than the fact that all all Max did was prove this weekend that he is amazing. But to your point, original point, Aston Martin, like when was the last time we were going to talk about Lance Stroll placing fifth and like anything other than like a drawing contest? <laughs> Well, I, I had this question submitted from Twitter and it asked kind of point blank, like, was the battle between Perez and Alonso a real treat or a mirage? It seems like we were just waiting for them to hit sector three to see what Perez could do with the DRS lap after lap. I feel like it was a real treat. Checo was patient. I think there were multiple times when, when he could have lunged and, and gone for the overtake and didn't because he knew his time was coming and he had a few more laps to, to essentially just kind of draft, maybe even charge the battery a bit. Um, man, I don't think it was a mirage at all, uh, especially since Fernando still ended up winning um, on that straightaway. It was, to me, it was just fantastic racing. And you saw them at the end too. Fernando was giving an interview. Checo came up behind him, kind of rubbed his shoulders and turned around and they gave, you know, they they embraced for a minute, and it was just like the camaraderie of that battle was just, you know, it's to me those are the those that's the highlight of racing. That's what you want to see, and you know you can't see it for you know every lap, but you want to see finishes like that. And 
you know, maybe if it was a mirage, it was a really, really good one. And when you're thirsty in the desert, you'll drink whatever the sun puts in front of you. I tend to agree with you that I don't think it was a mirage. I felt like it was a real treat. I felt like the racecraft, especially the racecraft of Fernando Alonso, was it was Fernando Alonso. It was it was what we I don't want to say what we expect from him, but what we expect from him when he's in a good car. It was a real joy to watch him play defense the way he did retain the energy in his in his tires and in his battery to to deploy when he needed it taking alternate lines to ensure that he had the traction where he needed it as well i mean the guy is just an absolute stud when it comes to racecraft and it was a real pleasure to watch it's like um yeah watching him is almost like watching tom brady um you know before tom retired it was one of those things that you're like, man, his football mind and Fernando's racing mind are just impeccable. They have so many years of experience. And you even saw Checo like going wide um, on a couple of the turns and making some mistakes that he could have, um, you know, he could have used to his advantage. And Fernando was just, man, he was on tracks and, and he knew what he was doing. Um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, with that sort of, um, accomplishment and experience also comes age. And with age, you, you, you kind of lose a little bit, but he proved to us this weekend, um, man, he's, he's still a badass, and it's so fun to watch him drive. I, I would prefer to make a, a Peyton Manning reference instead of Tom Brady, just cause I felt like he was a little more cerebral football mind, but I'll, I'll go with what you're doing here. We're not going to turn this into a Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady debate. So is Aston Martin truly back on form? Or was this a one-off anomaly? You know, that's funny. I was going to ask you about this. You are a, a smarter F1 mind. Uh, thank you. Yeah, listen, if we're going to talk about the foundation of this podcast, you are the brains and I'm the looks. And there's a reason <laughs> why we don't have a camera. So, you know, I, I, I heard them talking about it. And I was curious because it seemed that they had brought half of an upgrade package to Coda to Fernando, not to Lance, and then continue to make the upgrade packages as they progressed through the races. But then this weekend they reverted back. I don't have all of the details in terms of what spec that car was, but we know it was old. And so the question then becomes if they are to deploy this same package or or a similar package for Vegas and Abu Dhabi, do they have a shot at stealing fourth place back in the constructors over McLaren? If they get if they get Fernando and Lance scoring points, solid points in two straight races, even though Lando's form is really, really good, he's also prone to mistakes. And I'm not saying that Lance Stroll is not pro, prone to mistakes as well. But dude had a fantastic race on Sunday. He was not far away from Fernando. I want to say he finished like less than 10 seconds away from Fernando. Now, Fernando was playing defense and battling with Checo, so that obviously slowed both of them down and kind of brought them back towards Lance. But no shame on Lance Stroll's weekend. None at all. It was a very big win. Lance finished uh, just at about six seconds back. That's that's and miraculous. Is it though? But that's that's miraculous given the run of form that Lance Stroll has been on. 
a guy we were talking well, about, and, he, he, he did, we were talking about openly that he didn't deserve a seat, that the only fact, the only reason that he's there is because his dad owns the team and his dad would never fire him and yada, yada, yada. For him to come out and boost his confidence the way he has, that's nothing short of miraculous. Well, I mean, it definitely made me question, is Lance as bad as we think he is? I don't think it's. I don't think he has the ability to be consistent and do this. Can he jump up to five every now and again when they put what seems to be a fantastic car out on track? Yeah, yeah probably. I mean, he's done it once. He could probably do it again. Is he going to be a consistent driver that's going to be in the points every single weekend? It's almost like the same. Eh, it's not. I was about to make a really bad analogy between him and George. But George is far superior to what he is. They, uh, it, like that's the road I was going down for a second, and then I, luckily there was a detour, and I decided to stop. But I just I don't think Lance is consistent enough to do that. I think he can do it in spurts, but but I think I should probably remind you when we talk about Aston Martin creeping up on McLaren, it's the same twenty point gap. So Ferrari's twenty behind Merck, Aston is twenty behind McLaren, and although McLaren created a bit of a sandwich uh, damn near this weekend with uh, Lando P2 and Oscar P14, the last actual driver to theoretically finish the race. There's still 20 points in two races. So I, I think arguably, unless there's just something weird that happens in Las Vegas, which we've never been there before, so there definitely could be, and something weird that happens in Abu Dhabi, which historically there has been quite a few things that happened, just ask Max and Lewis, I think we're kind of set for the year. The thing that I don't get, and I have not read about this yet since the race happened, but when a safety car comes out, lapped cars can unlap themselves and get back on the lead lap. The red flag was deployed, and Daniel Ricardo and Oscar Piastri, who both came in to repair the damage they sustained during that lap one, turn one collision, had to restart the race a lap down. They weren't allowed to unlap themselves. And I feel like as race fans, we, we were robbed there because making them start a lap down essentially takes them out of the race anyways. Well, especially since you already had, at that point in time, what, three drivers already out? Yeah, you were essentially reducing the grid from 17 to 15 on the restart. Yeah, because Charles, has he was already gone. Mm -hmm. Albon and, and Magnussen had already collided. Correct. And so... And then how much Hulkenberg had damage, how much but he was able to stay on the lead lap. Ricardo and Piastri had damage to their rear wings, and they came in to pit just before the red flag. Yeah, you're just you're doing yourself a disservice there. Um, you're doing yourself a disservice to the drivers, to the team, and probably more fan. importantly, from our perspective, the fan. Yeah, like what? Just let them unlap themselves and let's let's get to racing because you're not going to have there's no there's no traffic out there. Just let them go. No race. You've got a guy happened like, at that point. Like they went to lap one, turn one. They were halfway around the first lap, and then safety car was deployed. They didn't even complete one racing lap before the safety car was deployed. Mm -hmm. And in that safety car, that's when Ricardo and Piastri ducked into the pit. 
They didn't even complete one racing lap. You essentially started the race over without any uh, impact to the leaders. You had those guys at the back anyways, but make them start a lap down doesn't make any sense to me. Well, especially for two drivers that just in the previous week had finished P7 and P8. Ricardo had a fantastic race last week. Oscar had a great race last week. And now you're forcing these guys to start a lap behind everyone else, knowing that they're just going to finish last. And then it's a, you know, it wasn't even a battle between the two of them. It was just keep the car in check, finish the race. And, you know, it's good practice for you guys to be out there and, and to have some experience yeah. and outside of that, whatever. And I mean, you could have, you keep them out there because if a safety car did happen again, they could unlap themselves at that point, which again, so dumb, but I get why they kept him out there. And, and the fact that they put Oscar on mediums, he was the guinea pig to get some data back from how they responded. Uh, so they could pass that on to Lando as he was up trying to fight for them for the front. They were talking about it on the broadcast and I was thinking about it actually before they started talking about it. When Max went into pit for his second pit stop, and he came back out on the soft tires, on his new soft tires. Lando was mm -hmm. 14 seconds ahead or whatever it was with 15 laps to go. Maybe it was 13 seconds ahead. Lando's on used mediums at that point, but there was 14 or 15 laps to go. And Max was going to take his new softs and go to the end. And for the first lap or two, Max wasn't making a ton of progress on Lando in terms of that time delta. And I thought to myself, how long will they leave Lando out here? They should leave Lando out here for a little while longer. Not necessarily with the idea of a safety car and a, and a cheap or free pit stop. Because I think that ship had sailed with how few cars were still on track. I think the idea of a safety car was probably a pretty big long shot, but it didn't hurt to leave him out there. But he was way ahead of third place. So even if he does stay out there for a while and eventually pit, he still comes out way ahead of Fernando. Should they have hung him out there on mediums until the end and left him on a one-stop strategy and make Max pass him on the track? Or just concede that he's going to come get you like they did? I mean, I think he pitted with 11 laps to go or something like that, 12 laps to go. So they did bring him in, I think, three laps after Max. So not that much later. Do you think it would have been worth it do you think we would have we would have gotten a show for the lead to have Max have to come up and pass Lando on track? Do you think Lando could have deployed the defense not as well as Alonso, but do you think we could have been treated to a real fight for the win if they left him out there on on a one stop? Not in the slightest bit. Because, you let me set that whole well, thing and up. Just, you let me you let me go off on this wonderful <laughs> setup soliloquy of of how the conditions could have been right in his favor, and then you just slam the door in my face. If Max is coming up on new softs and Lando's on what was he on old mediums? Yeah. It's inevitable. Like it's just inevitable. Uh, you've got fresher tires, a faster car and a better driver, why put yourself in a position to defend against someone that you know is going to eventually overtake you? Take your P2, 
get your points, call it a day. Well, that's the fun thing of the hypothetical is we'll never know. I think it would have been fun to leave him out there longer. Not that I would have left him out as long as I was comfortable ensuring that he was going to come out comfortably in uh, in P2, still well ahead of Fernando. I just would have let it played out a little longer. I wouldn't have brought him in as soon as they did. Didn't Lando come out right after that tire change and set fastest lap? It didn't yeah. uphold. No, it did. He he kept fastest lap. Did he really? Okay. Well, yeah. then there, and, and I'm pretty sure it was set just right after that tire change. Yeah, he set. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the exact time. I want to say it was like a one twelve six or something like that. It was like two seconds faster than <laughs> than the last previous fastest lap. Right. Right. And then after he set that fastest lap, <clears throat> which I get, you know, you're on brand new soft tires, go set it then. You're not going to lose that much fuel and weight in the car over the course of the next few laps. Go out and steal that point right then. Absolutely. I, I think that was awesome. The fact that Max was on tires that were at least five laps old at that point, the idea that Max could turn them on and get that fastest lap back from Lando, it was it made it harder for him. So in terms of getting the extra championship point to finish with 19 instead of 18, I applaud McLaren in that effort. Here's one thing we we can both agree on. I want to see this guy win a race. Nah, I'm good. Like, he's he's fine just finishing second his whole career. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Get out of here. He's such man, he's so It's fun um, to watch him. I mean, he's he, he's a good dude it is. and he's a good yeah. racer. He, yeah, and the thing that I like about him is he's just, he's humble. He, um, apparently, according to Daniel Ricardo, he's the easiest guy to make laugh out there on the grid, which I think is funny. Um, but yeah, I just, there's nothing not to, that's a double negative, but there's nothing not to love about Lando. And I'd really like to see, I'd, I'd like to see it pay off for him. Yeah, and another double negative is I don't disagree with you. Man, we are just some linguists. I feel like this that's, evening, aren't we? So this is a little bit of a tangent, and I don't care if I cut this out of the recording or not. But this is this feels like kind of a maybe it's a Texas thing or maybe it's a Southern thing. I had never heard that phrase until I moved to Texas. I don't disagree with you. Really? Never heard it in my life until I moved to Texas. They don't say that in Michigan. Hell no. I'm trying to so. I'm trying to think originally from Louisiana for those trying to stalk me. Um, I'm all, we say a lot of weird things in Louisiana. I'm not sure that that's one of them, but I guess I've been in Texas so long. It's part of just part of the vernacular, but there's a lot of weird things we say in Texas. I just remember it stinging my ears the first time I heard it when I was down here in 2008. I'm like, wait a minute. What did you just say? And I had to like piece it together in my head, like, okay, it's a double negative. That just means I agree with you. Since we're talking about this, I'd made a transfer out to uh, kind of a little rural rural town uh, for a little bit. And the first day on the job, one of the questions that was asked to me was, how many acres do I have? <laughs> They're like, hey, yeah, welcome, blah, blah, blah. My name's so-and-so. Uh, yeah, I live right down the road over here. We got about 14 acres. How many acres do you have? And four people that day asked me how many acres I had. And they were sorely disappointed whenever I told them less than one. 
All right. So something I'd like you to give some thought to, what is the best thing or, or biggest winner, however you want to phrase it, from the Brazil weekend for you? Man, I know that this is going to sound cliche and we've spent some time on it. So I'm not going to I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but the Checo Fernando battle the last 4 or 5 laps was just it was the best it was the best part of the weekend. It was fantastic. Now, I know that you can't take my answer, or you could, unless there was something else. No, no, I asked you first. You took it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so, Tom, best part of the weekend for you? It's not personally for me the best part of the weekend, but I think the one of the best things that came out of this weekend was Aston Martin finding themselves again. I think it's good for the sport. It's good for competition. I'm a McLaren fan, so I want to continue to beat them. But kudos. They had a fantastic weekend. Big winners, in my opinion. Aston Martin. Hey, that's a good answer. I don't have a I don't have any sort of issues with that at all. So worst part of the weekend, and there's a lot to choose from here, and I'm pretty sure we're not gonna have the same answer. But uh worst part of Brazil. <sighs> Honorable mention to another sprint weekend. Not a big fan of how everything played out for the sprint in Brazil. I just thought it was kind of lame, kind of boring. Honorable mention to Mercedes uh, for the turd of a weekend that they rolled out there. But I've got to give this worst thing this weekend to whoever's in charge of what we show on TV. The broadcast crew and the technical director who is making decisions of what to show and when to show it. Good Lord. How about you? Turn one, lap one. It was like, I know people want to see the carnage. Um, I don't. Like, I want to see as many drivers out on the field as possible. I want to see good racing with with, uh, Charles already out. It just, it... It caused some heyday, and we talked about this with uh, Oscar and Daniel being a lap behind. Like it just messed the whole race up, and I think that's part of the reason why the race was a little bit boring in the middle part. There was no meat to the sandwich. There just wasn't enough people out there, and we have Turn One to blame for that. It was a racing incident. Yeah, sure was racing incident. Okay, so let's let's review our predictions from. Brazil. So for pole position, you had chosen Lewis Hamilton, which, you know, coming into this weekend, not a bad choice. Mercedes just wet the bed. They were just peeing down their leg all weekend. (laughs) They were peeing down their leg all weekend. Is that a Michigan statement? That's funny. I I don't know. It's just, I feel like they were just, they were garbage. (laughs) And I have no idea why why we would have chosen Lewis Hamilton to succeed. Oh, so All right. for poll, like you, you had Hamilton. No points there. For poll, I had Norris. No points there. Third place, you had Carlos Sainz. He did not have a great weekend. He was driving. These, this, these predictions are just peppered with Ferraris and Mercedes. 
So I had Hamilton to finish third. You had Signs to finish third. Neither one of them were anywhere close. For, mm-hmm. for second, you had Hamilton and I had Norris. So Cha-Ching scored two points there. And then first, we both took Max Verstappen. So we both got three points as well. So after three races of predictions, we are level on points. Oh, man. So two races is... to go. We've got some, we've got some, uh, we've got a heated battle here with nothing on the line, well, from what I understand. Nothing, nothing on the line other than pride, but we are also both going to be heading into Las Vegas weekend uh, on our next episode, whenever we make some predictions about the debacle that's happening out there. Uh, we're flying blind because not only has no one ever raced in Vegas before, we won't see a single practice. So, yeah, we're just we're kind of pulling it out of thin air uh, after this uh, quick, quick week long break that we're about to take. What do you mean we won't see a practice? Oh, because we'll predict before, before we make predictions. We won't. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. And that is it for today. Thank you very much for listening to our Brazil recap. We appreciate the time you spent with us today, and we will catch you next week. 